Being the first U.S.-born child in my family of Salvadoran immigrants, I was always different. And they wouldn't hesitate to point that out to me when they would say things like, Tú no eres ni de aquí ni de allá, which is Spanish for you are neither from here or there. Now, I know that my family has never meant anything negative by saying this. They were simply stating a social truth, a social truth that says, no matter how hard I try, I will never be Salvadoran or American enough. Now, for the majority of my life, this statement has defined me. Now I'm at a point, finally, where I can understand what it truly means. Hi, and welcome everyone to Reclaiming Social Justice. This is a podcast that explores social justice through the lens of faith. My name is Danny. I'm the host, and this is my very first episode. Um, in episode zero, um, our introductory episode, I started off by sharing a little bit about um, who I am, my background, um, and I shared how I'm the son of Salvadoran immigrants. Um, so for this episode, I wanted to kick things off by um, looking at immigrant issues, and in particular, my own story as it relates to the immigrant experience. Um, mine isn't one necessarily of crossing borders, experiencing racism, and the struggle to adapt to a new country. Mine is really about a couple themes, and those themes are identity, finding belonging, and the complicated nature of being the first U.S.-born child in a family of immigrants. Plus, it's one of conversion and finding faith. Stick around to hear more. So before I jump into my story, I wanted to start off with a little bit of background to give you all context. Um, I'm the youngest of three children. We are all boys. I was originally born in Los Angeles, California. I've spent the majority of my life in um, a suburb of Portland, Oregon. Um, currently, I'm living in Seattle, Washington with my lovely wife and our five-month-old baby, who you may hear in the background um, in this episode or in future ones. Um, we also live with my two nephews um, on my wife's side and um, brother-in-law. Um, but like I said, my um, entire family, my two older brothers and my parents are all originally from El Salvador. Um, and after having my two older brothers, um, my parents made the very difficult decision to immigrate here to the U.S. Um, they just recognized that there wasn't anything for them and for us um, in El Salvador. Um, things were pretty rough at that time. Um, a lot of poverty, a lot of violence due to the civil war that was going on during the late 70s and 80s. Um, and so they came here, but they couldn't come all at once. Um, obviously, because you can imagine how risky that would have been, um, but also how, how costly. Um, and so my family came one at a time here. My mom came first, and to everyone's surprise, she was pregnant. She was pregnant with me. Um, she didn't realize that until she got here. Um, so my dad came about a year or so later after I was born. My brothers, though, they had to be on their own for the most part for a few years. Um, just because they had to save up money, you know, to, to make the, the journey. Um, 
And I think uh, they actually tried to come here a couple of times, but were sent back. Um, and I won't go too much into their story because my hope is um, that they're listening to this and they might also want to share their own story. Um, and so I'll just leave it at that. Um, but basically, the short of it is it took us about five years to be united. And so for those five years, I was, for the most part, an only child. Um, I didn't have brothers to play with. Um, I had cousins, but they were in the San Fernando Valley area, which um, is a few hours away, especially with traffic. Um, so I was pretty alone as a kid. And my parents always joke with me when they say that when kids would come over from like the neighbor's house or just a, a one of their friends, uh, I would bribe them with like candy and toys and all these things just to get them to stay because I didn't have too many um, kids to play with. Um, but yeah, five years later, we, we were united. Um, but again, another change happened when um, we picked up and moved to Portland, Oregon. Um, and when I think back to that time, I, man, I can only imagine how hard that was, especially for my two older brothers who had just came here, um, had to adapt to, you know, the culture in Los Angeles and the, and the language, um, being the only Hispanics um, in their schools. And then coming here, coming to Portland, where it was even less diverse in terms of culture and language, and it's just a totally different environment. Um, and so, yeah, that was rough. Growing up, we were more or less raised as Catholics, you know, um, like many other families that come from um, Latin America. Um, In social justice, when we talk about identity, we usually talk about it from um, two different angles. The first one being how you see yourself, and the second one being how others see you, and how the two are often in conflict. Then there's a third, and that's how God sees you, how he created you to be. And in my opinion, at the end of the day, that matters. But it's taken me a while to realize that. Because for the majority of my life, I have focused on how others see me and trying to meet their unrealistic expectations of me. So here's just, a, a, for example, a, a couple of ways that I've been categorized or the labels that I've put on me. So like in my family, for example, and they might be laughing, laughing right now if they're listening to this, but uh, to them, I'm the golden boy, which is a not so indirect way of saying that I'm the privileged one, right? I'm the one that was um, raised with a silver spoon in his mouth because I was given certain uh, opportunities and privileges that they didn't, right? Above all, and most importantly, I am a U.S. citizen, and I did nothing to earn that. It was just something I was given when I was born, right? So I didn't have to go through that whole complicated process of becoming a naturalized citizen. And so being a, a native U.S. citizen, I was, I've been given certain privileges, right? Access to resources and rights that they don't. Right? I got to go to college and grad school and finance my way to those two degrees because I had uh, access to financial aid. Something that um, immigrants don't get to have access to. Right, they, Like my brother, for example, 
who um, went to community college, he had to pay for that um, on his own dime because he didn't have access to, to financial aid. And neither did, neither did my parents because of their citizenship status. But beyond that, I was also given certain rights and opportunities like going to sleepovers, right? Um, playing sports, um, going to parties and, and school dances and things like that. Things, um, you know, that your typical average American person experiences when they're going through middle school and high school. Um, but those were rights and privileges that my two older brothers were given. I was also excused from having to help around the house with chores or bills or any other kind of like family related issue because all my parents ever wanted me to focus on was my school, my education, my future. And so growing up, I would always hear things like, oh, you know, Danny's going to be the one um, that's going to make it so we don't have to work such long hours or he's the one that's going to help us pay for this house, right? He's the one that's going to help us, um, uh, you know, retire and, 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 you know, take care of us when we would get to that stage. And I would always kind of um, flip it back on them and be like, you know what, I'm not really planning on making too much money. So I wouldn't keep my hopes up too high. And they would just just kind of laugh it off. To them, I was also the gabacho of the family, which is Spanish for um, white person. And um, you might be asking, why did he call you a white person? And, and it's because of I'm the U.S. born child, um, and I grew up speaking. I grew up speaking Spanish, of course, in, in at home, but everywhere outside of the house, I was speaking English. Um, so I always say, like, yes, technically Spanish was my native tongue, the first language that I spoke. Um, though I don't remember this, of course, but my parents have only spoken Spanish to me, so Spanish had to be the first words that I spoke. But English, for the majority of my life, has been my dominant language. And so I always made that distinction. And as a result, um, I've always been told, and, and I, I know, I'm very aware that I speak Spanish with an accent. Like I'm, an, like I'm an American person, a white person. And so I was always teased for how I pronounce things, or not knowing a word, or making up a word. Um, and that made me very self-conscious, right? Um, it made me hesitant to participate in family conversations um, because I would get fun of. And I know that my, my family never made any harm from this, um, but did affect me. And so something else that they, um, that I, that they would call me is like, I, they would say like, oh, I'm, you're so quiet, you don't talk, like you're so shy. And like family friends who would come over um, would say the same things. And so like it would come to everyone's surprise um, when they would go to like parent teacher conferences and my teachers would tell them all like how much I talk, how um, social I am, and how outgoing and extroverted I am. And so I was like almost having two different identities at, at home and, and at school. And that was largely because of my Spanish. And so eventually I came to a point where I just decided that I needed to do something to force myself to fitting in into my community and I was seeking acceptance into my community not so much for my family because of course my family is always going to love me and support me and accept me but I was really seeking acceptance from the larger Latino community and so I started studying Spanish I started practicing more Spanish um, learning about my culture my, my ancestry and background in fact I even started to um, work at a Spanish immersion 
preschool where I was talking and working 100% of the time in Spanish and that was something that I had never done before. And it helped, it helped a lot. My vocabulary increased, my pronunciation improved. Um, and, and to this day, I, yeah, I definitely don't hear as many of those comments that I, from my family or other friendly friends and other people from the Latino community um, about my accent. Uh, but the funny thing is what happened is that then I started getting similar comments from Americans, from English speakers. The other day, for example, I was leading a workshop and after giving my little introduction spiel, this kid raises his hand and says, hey, where are you from? And I'm like, well, I was born in Los Angeles, but I've spent most of my time in, in Portland, Oregon. Why? And he's like, well, because you speak English with an accent. And I just kind of laughed. I was like, wow, isn't that funny? And then I remembered that phrase that I shared at the top of the episode of the show that tú no eres ni de aquí ni de allá. I am neither from here or there. And that's really when I started to realize that it doesn't matter how hard I try, I will never be enough. I will never be a fluent enough English speaker or a fluent enough Spanish speaker. I will never be Latino or American enough. I'm somewhere in between. And so after reflecting on this reality, I started to realize that what I'm really seeking is acceptance from something larger than me, even larger than my Latino or American community. And that acceptance, that peace, that joy, that love is something that I realized I can only find from God. And I didn't realize this until I, I, I met this group of, of uh, Catholic young adults that accepted me, that welcomed me. And these were a group of people that were nothing like me. We were different in almost every category in terms of race, language, background, ancestry, um, worldview, you know, so our political um, mindset and things like that. We were all so different, but we were united and connected through God and through our faith, through something that's just much, much, much larger than these social experiences. So then it hit me. This phrase, this this um, saying, tú no eres ni de aquí ni de allá, you're neither from here or there, is pointing out not only a social truth, but a spiritual one. This um, young adult Catholic community taught me that I am, I'm in this world, right? But I'm not of this world. This, this world that we live in, this society, is not our um, ultimate destiny. We are all made for something more. I am made for something more. I'm just a pilgrim. I'm passing through this world and onto my final destination, which is heaven which is being with God. And it's only then when I found that, that acceptance through, through my father, my heavenly father that is, that finding acceptance from any other human being was just, just something less. Of course it was important and I, I, I wanna be loved by my fellow human beings and, and I wanna love them as well. But when you realize that 
no matter what you do, you will never be enough for people. And no matter what people do, they will never fully, um, what's the word that one? They, they will never fully please you or satisfy you is a better word. There's no human being, even your, your, your spouse, right? Or your mom or your dad or your significant other. There's no other human being that could fully, fully satisfy you. That's only God who can do that. And that's really when I came to peace with my whole um, journey with, with finding identity and acceptance in, in, in my ethnic community. So things really came full circle for me when I got married and then my, my wife and I um, got pregnant and we were expecting our first baby um, and then you know a few months few uh, months into the pregnancy we learned that we're gonna have a baby boy and, and I was like wow what a what a blessing what an opportunity to continue my story and so when we were trying to decide what are we gonna name this human being we were thinking about something that that had meaning right that's always been important to me and for me in particular you know my wife um she was was born and spent half of her time in in mexico her native country and so she is very close to her roots i mean she even knows like the name of her indigenous community that she come from and and their the the dialect that they speak um and so I've always been very jealous because, you know, she, she has that relationship. She knows who she is um, in terms of culture, ethnicity. Um, me, on the other hand, like as I've been sharing, like that's kind of been a complicated um, experience for me. And so it was really important for me that my son's name reflected my, my background and, and where I come from, where my family comes from, but also our faith. Our faith. Our belief in God that we share and so we landed on um, calling him Salvador Agustin Rauda Lopez and I love the name it makes me smile every time I say it or every time I see it and so his, we gave him the, the first name Salvador because well that's where my family comes from we come from El Salvador Right. And I want my son to know that and to remember that. But Salvador is also Spanish for savior. A reflection of our faith and our father, our holy father, who is the only one who will ever, ever fully fulfill us. And I want him to know that. I don't want him to go 20, 30 years to finally realize that there's only one person that can satisfy him. And that's God. And Augustine is also another reflection of our faith. Augustine was a was a, a, a bishop in uh, Africa, and I took on his name as my my confirmation name because he is known as one of the greatest sinners, one of the most worldly people who was caught up in his, his the, the times that he was living in, um, caught up in his um, with his own demons, right, and. 
debauchery and things like that. And so I resonated with him a lot. And, and that's why I chose him because he eventually became one of the greatest saints to have ever lived. And so he's somebody I always aspired to be like. So that's why we, we, we named him Agustin. I also just think it sounds really cool. <laughs> Salvador Agustin. Um, but our la his last name is both mine and my wife's. Rauda is mine and Lopez is my, my wife's. And again, that's another reflection of our culture um, in, in Mexico and El Salvador and other Latin American countries. Um, it's the norm to have both the mom and the dad's last name. And I just find that beautiful because here that's not the case, right? We, we live in a society that priori prioritizes the men. Well, at least across history, that's been the case, right? And so when we were trying to think of his name, and like at first, you know, I, because of I've grown up here in this country, I just thought, oh, okay, she's just going to have my name. And my, my wife would, would kind of joke with me, like, what, does he not have a mom? You know, what if when he gets to heaven, God's not going to know who his parents are? And I'm like, actually, you're right. You know, I have no logical reason why we would only give him my name it was just something i knew that 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 was just a normal thing too and so we we would we, we give him both of our names and i and i just love that because it, it like even though my his first name is is really focused on my roots but having both of his uh, parents name is is a reflection of both of our roots or both of our stories and i want him to always remember that um he's both salvadoran and Mexican and American and that's beautiful and that's good and he has an amazing opportunity and responsibility by being part of all these different groups so to close I'm gonna share with you all a, a quote from St. Augustine um, and the quote says that our hearts are restless until they rest in thee in other words that you know what I've been saying that we will never be satisfied or, or be fully fulfilled until we are in the arms of, of God and when we have found that relationship with him he is the only one who can love us and support us and accept us without limits or conditions it's only him where we can find our, our place in this world and then that's peace that's where we find peace God does not hear my accent in English or in Spanish. At the end of the day, he doesn't care what cultural group I belong to. He only cares about me, my soul. He sees me for me and nothing else and loves me even, um, even with all my imperfections and shortcomings. He knows every number of hair that I have, every flaw or blemish, but he still loves me. And I know that at the end of the day, that's really what people are looking for in today's world. And my hope is that by listening to this podcast, um, people will learn what I've learned in my experience, which is that if we can just let ourselves be open to, to God, then we'll be happy. Then we'll find that happiness that we're all looking for.
right, y'all, that's it for my very first episode of Reclaiming Social Justice. Um, Stay tuned to hear more stories of um, people's experience with immigration um, as well as faith. My genuine hope is that um, by sharing my story, my family, my friends, colleagues, and anyone else who hear this will also be inspired to reflect and share their own story um, about immigration and faith. Um, if you want to um, stay in touch, you can follow me on my Facebook page. It is um, linked uh, at the bottom of this of every show. Um, you can also find it yourself by using the handle at Danny B. Rauda. Um, you can also learn more about, about me and what I do um, by checking out my website. Um, that's DannyRauda.com, D-A-N-N-Y-R-A-U-D-A.com. Um, and if you if you want to support me financially, um, please do. Uh, I'm looking into the best platform um, for doing that. So stay tuned with that. Um, but yeah, um, I look forward to continuing this conversation and sharing with you all um, more about social justice through the lens of faith. I'll see you all next time. Take care.